It's time to breathe new life into the social entrepreneur by empowering you to make a living through fulfilling work that will impact lives. You'll make money, but more importantly, you'll make a difference. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast. It's time to build a business with purpose. Now here's your host, Adam Force. What's up, everybody? This is your host, Adam Force. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast show today. Um, welcome back to those who were here with us last week. Um, we had an exciting release with Leah Garces, who is in the recent edition of Change Creator Magazine, issue number 21. And she's the first female president of Mercy for Animals. Very exciting and powerful stuff. She talks about some of the emerging trends and markets um, in the food space and what's going on with animal rights. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about uh, purchasing with impact, guys, and how do we how do we know what we're getting and, and the, the footprint that it has. And this is a really interesting topic. And you know, the question was asked to Green Story founders, how do we tip the scale from an unsustainable economy to a green economy? Um, and so we got in touch with Akil Sibinanden. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, and we had a really interesting talk. So in this conversation, what you're going to, to hear about is the algorithms and, and the way they're using technology to help bring transparency to what people are buying so they know the footprint of these products. Um, and so they've, they have a pretty extensive background, both of them. So Akil is, he's focused on the business development and the marketing for Green Story. He has over eight years of experience and he's been recognized as an expert in sustainability and renewable energy, uh, and has a focus in market analysis. He's also a speaker. He's been, um, quoted multiple times in, in the New York times. Um, and he's worked on climate change initiatives with the Ontario government, um, working on carbon offset programs and cap-and-trade legislation for the Ministry of Environment and many other sustainable uh, sustainability projects for companies like Philips Lighting and others. So lots of experience, lots of interesting technology, and just another step forward in this transparency so we know what we're purchasing uh, and the impact that it has. So I'm going to let him tell you more about it and what they have going on. Don't forget, guys, uh, we did just release, release, as I mentioned, issue 21, and we interviewed the founder of Mercy for Animals. You know, there is a major movement taking place around animal rights. There are over a billion animals uh, slaughtered every week, and you know this is this is something jets should raise a brow, and it's, it is about how the, they are treated and the processes that are going through with these factory farms. But it's not just about the animals. Um, you know, we all have a, a soft spot in our heart for these animals, and we don't want to see them you know, abused in any way and all that kind of stuff. But it's also about the environmental impact. You know, what are, what's the water pollution impact, the deforestation impact, you know, the impact on even human health. So there's so many things that stem uh, from the mass consumption of these things. And based on that, major players like Tyson, um, who you've heard for chicken and things like that, are starting to invest in new solutions that are meat free and there's this new food revolution taking place and so there's this emerging market and i love how leah garcia's in her interview talks about 
companies like Tyson avoiding a Kodak moment. So you'll hear what that means. Um, but Milo Runkle was the original founder and he started without any real, you know, business acumen, right? So he talks about how he took an activism uh, mindset and started this organization, which is now, you know, protecting over a billion animals a year. It's changing the way major players like Tyson and Purdue uh, behave and how they invest their money. Um, yeah, you could start with one passionate idea and you can change the world literally. And that's exactly what Milo has done. So we talk about how he did that. Um, and I think you're going to get a lot of value from that uh, article. So be sure to check that out. Um, you can also check out a spotlight with Akil. He was in our 20th edition of Change Creator Magazine. We did spotlight him and he taps into some of the things he's working on and some of those ideas. So that was an addition with Richard Branson, we did a Q&A there, guys. He gave his best advice for change creators, so you don't want to miss that Richard Branson interview in Issue 20. And then, of course, the president of Virgin Unite. We had an incredible interview, and she offered a ton of valuable information based on her experience. So tap into those guys. Those are extremely important additions with lots of mentorship for you, uh, and we hope you find it exciting and valuable. Don't forget to stop by. Leave us a review on iTunes. I know it can be a pain in the butt, um, but we really would appreciate it because it helps a lot. So the podcast, the magazine, these are apps on iTunes. Um, and you know, if you can just pop over there, give us that five-star review, we would be forever grateful. Um, all right, guys, we're going to get into this conversation. Thank you so much. Um, just a heads up for people who are interested in the Captivate program. That beta is running right now. We are in session. It is kicking butt and it's exciting. The feedback and the energy with all the students is incredible. The doors will open again soon. So right now you can go to our Captivate course page. You can sign up to get on the interest list, okay? And we're going to let you know when the doors open again. They're going to open again around, I think, January. And we're going to have to phase in some of the pricing. So the earlier you get in, it'll be the lowest price possible. You'll save about $400 um, to get in right away. So sign up um, and get involved. It's really valuable stuff. And we're doing our best to make it even more and more valuable as we go. So you'll get lifetime access. And you're going to learn how to tell your founder story and understand and the, the real crux of storytelling as a marketing tool, and that is essential for today as there's more online noise. All right, let's get into this conversation with Akil and see what he has to say. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Akil, welcome to the Change Creator Podcast show. How are you doing today? Very happy to be here, Adam. It's a great day today. Very awesome. cold here in Toronto and really happy to be here. How's that weather out there? Is it getting cold yet? Yes, uh, although we do have our little Indian summers coming in, it's, it's uh, Toronto weather seems to fluctuate plus minus 20 degrees every day. <laughs> That's pretty dramatic. <laughs> um, you know, I just was connected with some friends from New York and usually it's pretty cold by now, but they are, they're humid and it's hot. So things are a little <laughs> bit offbeat. <laughs> um, so listen, all right, great. Listen, I want to touch into, tap into what you have going on. I love the, the, the approach you're taking. You know, it's funny because it's always something I always thought about, but I was like, how do you even, how do you start? calculating these things and it looks like you guys have built algorithms and and um, programming that helps um, 
purchasers understand what the purpose behind the purchase is. And I love, love, love that. So congratulations. And um, tell us a little bit of background. I mean, before you started Green Story, what were you doing and how did you come to an epiphany about starting Green Story? Well, I think like the sustainability has always been kind of in the back of my mind since I was a little kid. Uh, I grew up in India and uh, I don't know if you've ever visited there, but anybody who's been there, pollution suddenly comes to the top of your mind, uh, especially if you lived in Delhi like I did. Uh, and it's still a, a huge issue. Um, so it was always there. And I was very lucky as part of my dad's job that I could kind of travel around to many cities. We just kept shuffling from city to city. And I saw saw this from many different viewpoints. So when I did my undergrad uh, and I and I graduated, uh, I was really wanted to get into the sustainability space and do something about it. And I worked in sustainability consulting and market research for about five years, really learned the ropes, uh, worked on eco-labels, green energy, and all these things. And when I came to Canada in 2011 for my MBA, uh, I really wanted to build a career in sustainability. At that time, I wasn't really thinking of starting up, uh, but I I, I did have a seed of that in my mind. Um, And there's always the idea of like really getting people to know the data and making decisions for companies easier. How do you get consumers to uh, look at environmental information without looking at a label because there are lots of eco labels out there and uh, you might have seen like the organic cotton label b corp and all these things right of course and and they're awesome but like if you ask the average consumer on the street what a b corp is and we've done that as part of our market research like they don't really know what it is they know it's good uh, (laughs) but they don't know what it is no i i agree and just to jump in real quick it's like I go shopping and I know what a B Corp is because I I know the people there. I'm in the space. I'm a little more intimate. So I go to the grocery store with my wife and, you know, we see certain products. I'm like, oh, look, this is B Corp certified. She also a very conscious shopper, but she's like, what is that? She has no (laughs) idea. Right. So I think you're spot on. It's not it's not well known. Exactly. And and I think I I really wanted to tap into this idea that we've become a whole more a whole lot more number literate over the last 10 years. I mean, to give you a great example of this, like uh, I recently went to a McDonald's and bought one of their, I think, McFlurries. Uh, <laughs> you know, this horrible heart attack inducing things. <laughs> but but, uh, uh, but like, yeah, we all splurged. But like uh, when I went in there, I actually made a decision over there. So they, they, they gave uh, calorie information at the McDonald's here. And the, the I think the big one was about 750 calories, and the small one was about 300 calories. I'm, I'm not a calorie counter at all, but I made the decision on the small one right there when I saw the difference. Yeah. And it, it's this idea that we are no longer just thinking about dollars. As a consumer, we've become a lot more sophisticated, and we can understand the numbers a lot right. better. And so we don't have to rely on labels as much. Labels are great. They... they give a level of credibility and certification. But more than that, I I really think, like for Green Story, the idea was to really bring sustainability to the consumer and reframe what sustainability is for companies. Because most companies, they think of it as an operations issue. You know, back-end stuff, sustainability, make a sustainable report, put it in your sustainability uh, or CSR folder somewhere, and then 1% of your customers may see it, and, and further 1% might read it. Right, yeah. Right. 
100%. So yeah, so so we really wanted to like change that, change that mindset, change that framework, and make it part of what consumers see. Like right in, as soon as they get in touch with you, if you're about sustainability, make it part of the customer journey. As, as soon as you see it, you you know what the impact is of your engaging with this company. Yeah, um, that makes a lot of sense. I think you know people. It's it's like you. I have noticed you know there's a lot of these online businesses starting and they sell information and services and things like that. And then there's a lot of the drop shipping and and e-commerce of the tangible goods, right? Which is something mm-hmm. that you're also tapping into here. But I noticed that they see people seem just like Kickstarter. They really lean into things that are tangible to them. They have to see and understand like what's going on. Um, and, you know, to your point, I just interviewed someone else who's the founder of Brave Souls, and they're doing some incredible work with shoes and things like that. But what the person, the, the customers told her was, you know, we're really excited to buy your product because we know the story behind it. We know the impact that we're having by making this choice. So we have pride in our choice. And I think that you're tapping into that power. Absolutely. And, and it's funny you mentioned Brave Soul. They're one of our first clients. So they actually have our metrics on their site. That's really cool. Awesome. All right. Well, there you go. So, and I noticed you have Tamga as well. I think I pronounced that right. Right. Um, another, that's another team doing some pretty cool stuff too. Absolutely. And we, we're also starting to onboard bigger companies because, uh, you know, when we started the company, we really wanted to have like this big personal goal as to what what we wanted to become and the whole kind of point was the whole kind of big goal was to get a billion people to make greener choices and it's it's wonderful that tamga brave souls are having success that they have but we're also starting to work with these uh, bigger companies and we're starting to reach close to a million people uh, make these green choices and and to me that's that's like a huge step it's kind of a you know one thousandth of where i want to be but considering we were at like ten thousand at the beginning of the year it's been a big jump for us that's pretty exciting that is pretty exciting um okay so i guess i'm curious then let's just let's just help people understand so how did you start the creation of Green Store, meaning, okay, I have this idea. Like, I think a lot of people have ideas that are like, wow, love to do this, love to do that. But when it comes to something like what Green Story is doing, there's a tech side to it. So did you guys have this experience from your studies? So it's a skill that you already had. How did you start creating these algorithms and calculating these numbers? And how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So I came from a background in sustainability about five years off that. And even during my MBA, I I did a lot of work within uh, the sustainability space. And I met one of the few people at my program who were very interested in sustainability, my co-founder. And he's a very numbers-oriented guy as well. Uh, So we were able to kind of learn together and we got the certifications before we even got the idea for Green Story. And uh, then we said, okay, we have this knowledge and we have this idea. Let's start building it out. And the first build of Green Story was, and this is like going to be typical MBA stuff, it it was an Excel file. Yeah. And <laughs> and we, we just built out this massive Excel file. It was 90 megabytes or something with, with like hundreds of tabs. Wow. And uh, we packaged it such that it looked like a software almost. And people could just click through it and see their impact and stuff. And it's it was very much meant for companies to use. And then when we when we showed it around to people, somebody actually paid us for it and said, "Hey, I'd like to use this in my company. I'd like to use this for a show." And after we got our first revenue, before we had a company, we were like, 
okay, now this, this is something we can build out. Yeah, yeah, that's smart. So you had some form of validation through a very raw beta. You know, I, I was hearing somebody teach people how to create courses and they're like, you know, if you're teaching someone to build a car, you start with the skateboard. I think the Excel sheet was your skateboard version. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And we and we, we kind of built out the skateboard and uh, we were started uh, learning the code as, uh, at the same time. And uh, we actually outsourced the initial production of it. And uh, slowly over time, we brought everything in-house. And we have like uh, we've been able to build much faster uh, because of that. And uh, you know, as I said, be- because we had initial revenues and we bootstrapped a lot, we we were able to build it off revenues initially for the first couple of years. And only recently, we've uh, done a fundraise through friends and family to kind of get us to the next level. Yeah, and we're going to touch on the funding stuff, um, but before we do, now you started getting a team to build this in-house, does that mean you were actually hiring people or were you able to get people on board through a different form of collaboration where you're not paying them yet, but they're really interested in what you're doing and then there's like a compensation later or equity? Any? How mm-hmm. did that founder team of people start getting together? Uh, it was about 50-50. In terms of development, we actually outsourced it through a friend of mine. Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, later on, we... Uh, so... To give you some context, my brother actually runs an analytics and uh, a development firm in India. So after a while, I actually tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, I got this idea. We got some traction. Do you want to help me build it out? And he's like, sure. And they have become our in-house team now. Nice. so there's a bit of like uh, serendipity there. <laughs> well, no, I mean, but hey, you gotta. That's part of I think something that's really important as an entrepreneur is you know when you're starting something, you gotta look around at the resources you already have, your skills, your knowledge, but also your friends, family, network. Like, where can you tap in and get support? And obviously, that's a that's a huge win for you to have someone that you can lean into. But I think we all have to look at those assets like that. Absolutely, I. I I wouldn't have gone past the first year if my friends and family hadn't kind of pulled through for this. That's awesome. Well, I mean, it's a great idea, and you kind of validated that right out of the gate with the Excel file, and then um, I guess it's history from there. You guys have been um, generating revenues. So where now you started saying, okay, well, we got to take it to the next level. Actually, you know, before I get into the funding, um, one of the questions I always have, and, and you don't have to spill any secret sauce or anything like that, but curious about how do you make sure the numbers that the, the consumers are seeing are credible and and how do you like where are they coming from that's a very valid point so there are two places so what we try to do is what's called a comparative life cycle analysis so the idea of a life cycle analysis if you take a product or a service you know if you're buying a cotton shirt for example um, there is fertilizer that goes into the cotton for growing it and like diesel used in the machinery and on and on and transport and all these things right so we actually try and measure what is how much goes in where and look at the impacts of that, like in terms of carbon dioxide, water consumption, water pollution, and all these different things, right? Yeah. So that at the point of sale, this T-shirt that you purchase is the product of like X amount of diesel going in and uh, Y amount of CO2 coming out. So there is a standard that's built out by the ISO uh, on measuring these things. So it's a life cycle analysis uh, standard. Okay. So we look. Uh, so we basically have used that standard, and uh, we over time have built up a massive database on what the global kind of standards are. So you know, what is the average shirt going? To, what's the impact of the average shirt going to be? Yeah. Uh, and then we rely on uh, on the company itself to provide us with the data. So they 
they are very open with it and they tell us, okay, we use these factories and this is where everything is produced and they give us bills or whatever other validation that they have. And we kind of go through it and break down uh, their, their supply chain and then do the calculations for them and then do the comparison. Okay, this is your supply chain and this is the global supply chain. What is the difference? Got it. Got it. So you're doing a custom analysis per uh, business client. Absolutely. So we, we don't do, uh, depending on the client, we don't like, might not go all the way in and do a full analysis. Uh, if a lot of the processes are similar to global processes, then we kind of take the conservative approach. We kind of give them like the worst process and say, okay, <laughs> this is your impact. Because I think especially when it comes to sustainability, it's all about trust and you can never overstate your impact. You can understate it, that's fine. But if you overstate your impact, people really kind of get offended and there's a lot of, uh, brand issues that come with that. Right, right. No, that makes sense. And I mean, there's so many variables that there has to be some kind of maybe little buffer, I guess, but it really gives you a strong sense of uh, what you're actually achieving with each purchase. Um, I don't know how perfect it can all get. I mean, I think about, because why I asked about the numbers is when I think about these processes, there's so much to this almost butterfly or domino effect that everything <laughs> ties together. It's like, where does it end? The impact, you can consider so many different things. It's like, really, to me, it's a very difficult analysis. It is, and there's so many variables. You're so right. Like, for example, if you consider use case, if you're somebody who doesn't wash their shirts, you're actually a lot more, a lot less impactful than other people. <laughs> Because you use less water. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly, right? So, uh, makes yeah. sense. Yeah, but, but, the, but the cool thing is the impacts are generally huge. Like, if you take, for example, organic cotton versus, like, conventional cotton, right? Yeah. Yeah, per T-shirt, you save about 70 gallons of water. Uh, so, even if you, like, give, like, the worst-case scenarios to the clients, the differential is, is pretty big. So you'll see that impact and that wow factor come in. And we had this with a recent client when we were working with a major player in the green fashion space. And even the COO was very surprised that the impact was this big because they were expecting a few milliliters of teaspoons or something. Right, right. Um, now, do you think that this is inspiring some companies to do better, right? Because now we know the data from Pew and Nielsen and others, like they are saying consumers will spend more on products that are aligned to their values. Um, and if that's the purchasing behavior now, there's going to be a benefit to doing things right. Um, so do you think you're inspiring companies to have more of a holistic approach to their process? Absolutely. I, I would like to state two points about this, actually. One is from the consumer side. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is where like our lack of consumer knowledge on green consumers in general matters, because I think everybody has this idea about themselves that they're hyper green and they want to be green. So they'll say that they want to spend more and they will spend more. But when it actually comes down to putting putting down the money, a lot of consumers don't really follow through. Um, we've had like varying stats. The typical follow through rates of like uh, people who say they're going to buy green and then follow through is about 10% or less. So it, it's it's not this, this is kind of uh, like gap over there. And it's called the say do gap in, in like, you know, industry parlance because consumers say something and do something else. Um, 
So that that's one issue that we are kind of trying to tackle, and uh, so far successfully. And and the other thing is from the from the company's own viewpoint, absolutely, we've seen that with a lot of the clients that we work with, including Brave Souls. They've they've looked at the impact reports that we've given, and you know they've seen okay, this this particular thing has got a lot more impact. For example, one of our clients, they were flying in like their organic clothing. And uh, we told them that that's killing all your savings. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it's the flight cost of uh, the amount of CO2 per kilometer of flight is about 20 to 30 times that of shipping, wow. uh, like by ocean. So, and they, and they actually changed their processes in a few months and they started like taking it over ocean liners. Okay. That's very cool. All right. So, I mean, there's a major shift. And as people understand the data, um, I guess they have to like find the win-win. So it is how do I have better numbers, you know, ecologically and impact-wise, but then how do I still have numbers that are, you know, going to keep me in the green, right? <laughs> you know, and to your point, you have the say-do gap. So, you know, people at the end of the day, when you don't, when, you know, it's a bad year or you're not making enough money or whatever it is that's going on in your life, like you want to support the organics and all the good things, but if it's more expensive, when it comes to time to put the money down, you know, you still have to be competitive in that area. Absolutely. And uh, I, I don't think like people are willing to pay, you know, double the amount for, for a T-shirt. That's what they would normally, not not normal people anyways, not the everyday consumers. Right. Uh, but at the same time, if you show people these numbers side by side and give them equal importance, if you say that, okay, this T-shirt costs, you know, $40 instead of $20, you might pay somewhere else. But you also save, like one swimming pool worth of water or you you save the equivalent carbon of planting three trees, then they start thinking about these numbers and start considering it and weighing it in their decision-making process. And we've consistently seen that. Yeah. And that's what kind of gives them that little nudge uh, to kind of go through with the purchase. Yeah, I think that that's pretty cool. That makes sense. <clears throat> so, you know, a lot of people that are listening to this right now, um, you know, they they have their own business and I, I know that people struggle with marketing, selling, you know, making money. Like it's always a challenge, right? We all go mm -hmm. through our failures. We all have to kind of like struggle. Um, and, you know, to expedite that, we try to learn from people like yourself who have raised rounds of money. And if, whether it's friends and family, which is usually a starting point, right? Um, and kind of like a point of validation in a sense as well. If you can't sell your friends and family on the idea, then you're going to really, <laughs> you're going to have a problem. Uh, uh, so that's one point. And then you, I guess you did a small seed round, you got a couple of awards. So if we could start with the friends and family, um, I'd like to just talk about some of these, these wins that you've had financially in a, in a, in a sense to, to help the people who are listening, understand how that played out. Absolutely. So we start, we did the friends and family round the last, which is typically not what people do. We actually got uh, a lot of wins from the government and from competitions that we entered early on. And that, that was our initial seed round. And uh, to me, like, it, it was really important to get that validation and move it forward before and get some revenues and consistent revenues on, on the board before I approach my friends and family. Because uh, I think for me, like, the relationship was very important. So I didn't want them to take too risky uh, a, a bet on us. Sure. Although when I did approach them, I said, like, what, what are you most comfortable with losing? And, and based off that, uh, <laughs> the race. they're like, uh, nothing. <laughs> here's, here's $10. Good luck. 
10,000 friends later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> um, okay. And, and when you were doing that though, did you have a dollar amount in mind, meaning, okay, to get through this next like ob- objective or the next three months or the next six months? Like mm-hmm. how did you position it and plan it? So we basically looked at it from a one-year perspective. We knew we were going to grow and get steady revenues, and we could grow in a steady trajectory, and we would be where we want to be in three years, or we could get there in maybe a year, year and a half if we built built up a bit more funds and invested it towards uh, different parts, aspects of the platform. Right. Um, so that's that's kind of how we built it out and said they, we, we can survive without this, but we really if we really want to thrive, uh, we we, we would need this extra investment. Uh, and so we did a safe round for that with uh, with uh, friends and family. But the objective of investing this into two things, one was marketing and building out uh, more of our marketing. And the other was uh, building out uh, better automation with our system. And we were also lucky at the time because at the time we actually applied for and got a government grant to build out our uh, AI system as well. So which is due to be released uh, sometime next year. Exciting. I love AI. Yeah, absolutely. How Let's is uh, how is what's the vision for the AI? So the AI vision is is basically to understand green consumers a lot more. Uh, we have like millions of people using the platform and it would be great to kind of understand what what consumer behavior is because you know when it comes to green consumers, I I don't think people have a, a good understanding of why they make the decisions they make. There's so much conflicting information because you're putting values up front and people always want to show themselves as having the best values. Like I will buy green. I will do this. <laughs> yeah. Of course I will do this. Right. But that's, but that doesn't always translate into it. And cause there are lots of other pressures. Like you have your groceries and you have like other things and you might not have time to like, you know, check Wikipedia for these environmental terms that you just read. Yeah. yeah. So how do you kind of, uh, so the AI system is, uh, is meant to kind of understand consumer behavior and basically, uh, f- integrate with our platform so you can show consumers uh, the information that they want to see in kind of real time. If they want to learn more about certain aspects of it, the platform will automatically change based on your uh, profiles to to show this information. Okay. And, and what were some of the steps you had to take in order to get some of these grants and things like that? Was this a very laborious process or was it, I mean, how, like why even go down? I heard that they could be challenging and really time consuming and like a whole pro, like a whole business on its own trying to get those things. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about your process. Well, we, we didn't go after the smaller ones. We, we actually went after the ones where we knew we had a pretty decent chance based on like the people that we knew there and uh, just kind of, learning from them so whenever we applied for a grant we got in touch with or like an award we got in touch with the organization and found out what are the requirements and had a lot of conversations with them Uh, because a lot of these bodies they they actually want to give out the money and help social entrepreneurs succeed yeah but i think there is this kind of uh barrier where social entrepreneurs don't really reach out as much right uh and like try to understand what this award is for and who it's for. So we kind of like really narrowed our, uh, did a lot of research upfront and narrowed the grants that, the grants and the awards and the competitions that we want to apply for to like five or six. And we did well in pretty much all of them. 
Very cool. And okay, so that worked out well, and that probably played into a lot of. I mean, it builds your story as well. If you can win awards and do all these things, it's it's further validation. Um, and then you said you did lean into, uh, or you did land a, a seed round. Is that accurate? Yeah, so that was like uh, basically through uh, the Ontario Centers of Excellence. We we got a larger award for that, and uh, that that was a very competitive process. But again, with them, uh, we took the time to sit down with them and and learn from previous award winners and uh, and like uh, applicants as to what the main criteria are, and really built our application off that. Yeah, that's smart. I mean, I, I think there's a number of tips there for people who are looking to find ways. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can get revenues in the door. Um, every company is different, obviously. Um, and I think sitting down and really understanding, like, what do they look for? Why? Like, who's the appropriate candidate? Talk to the past winners. I mean, that can only enhance your chances. So that, that was, I think, a really smart step that people should take note about. Absolutely. Um, so I guess now you talked about the AI and the future. Um, um, I, I, as far as marketing goes, have you found, I mean, look, a lot of people get like spread thin. They get, I got to be on Twitter. I got to be on Pinterest. And I got I to gotta do my new Snapchat every day and all these things before they really build this like foundation for their business that's validated. Um, what would you say to them? I mean, have you guys put a ton of attention into the social media marketing and all those things? Or were you really just focused on the stuff we were talking about and not, not paying as much attention to those things? How did you play that out? Well, we made all those mistakes starting off. We, we, were in, <laughs> we were in 20 different spots and kind of everywhere at one point. And uh, it, it really kind of came from not quite fully understanding when we started off where our market was because we got revenues from like five, six different industries. And we really had to like uh, dig a bit deeper to find out what the core focus was. So we started with like just reaching out to people within industries that we thought were a good fit. And... Uh, and then we kind of jumped into green fashion with a lot of skepticism because we had no background in fashion. Right. And but it turned out to be like the right industry for us. It's it's, it's I think green fashion right now is where organic foods was about five, six years ago. It's it's growing really fast and there's a lot of interest, but people don't fully understand uh, yeah. what the implications are. So so our platform for a lot of these fashion companies was like came at the right right time where they're trying to grow and a lot of them are startups and they're trying to like also validate what organic, what sustainable, what recycled PET clothing and all means, right? Yes, yes. So once we found that niche, we were able to, once we found what the market was, we were able to really focus in on what's the social media that they use? How do I reach out to them? And the whole marketing strategy that we built out was over the core of education, because that is the biggest challenge that we also found was like really educating uh, our customers uh, and about framing, like really reframing sustainability and letting them know that if you put this data out there, if you kind of talk about your impact, it, it, you're not going to be pilloried. People are not going to come come after you. They're, they're going to want to engage with you and talk to you about it. And this is a great, great thing. Yeah. Uh, so so we, we, we really started uh, building on on that thing. So I, I, I built a, I did a lot of workshops. I went, went out there to a lot of events, speaking events, uh, and really started putting out a lot of blogs around, you know, how you can uh, market yourself 
as a green company, but in an authentic way without greenwashing and really help people avoid greenwashing. Because if you look at a lot of companies out there that are unintentionally greenwashing because they don't know any better and we're trying to like really talk about that and say like okay this is this is bad you shouldn't talk about uh, you know you being green if you're doing this so switch it out like really talk about the issues that you're facing and be transparent and uh, i think for the company that we work with that's that's paid a lot of dividends yeah and just for anybody listening greenwashing is when somebody um, is essentially using the idea of sustainability and being green because they know it has marketing cachet, but they're not actually, you know, behind the scenes executing thoroughly on those ideas. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks for explaining that. It's, it's become common parlance for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I'm curious, I just had a thought in my head and I kind of lost it. Um, there was something I wanted to piggyback on. Uh, you're talking about the greenwashing and, oh yeah, when you were going out to these events, I mean, here's the thing, guys, the best marketing, and this is what we've learned at Change Creator too, um, is not just pumping out social media. I'm not saying don't have a presence. You know, there's a couple key platforms that might be really good for your audience. You, you want to have some social proof. That's fine. Um, but getting out there, like going to the conferences, going to workshops, meetings, you know, go to meetup.com, Eventbrite, whatever it is. And you have to really start getting out there and talking to people. And then, you know, Akil, tell me, um, you went out and you were talking about how to avoid greenwashing and market your green business. But really, I feel like were you out there telling your story that people can start understanding what you're about and and how to what why you're a solution for them? Absolutely, and I think it is very important for me to understand my own positioning with the, within the market. And it's only when I had you know hundreds of these conversations that I really understood where what's the niche that we fit in, yep. and what's the clear problem that we're solving. Because uh, I think a lot of uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of green companies and social enterprises tend to uh, think in terms of, I'm doing something good and my story should be about that. Uh, but it's not generally the case. I mean, companies do, if you're selling B2B, especially companies do think in you know dollars and cents. Um, so how, when we positioned ourselves over time, we, we actually... Uh, positioned ourselves as a marketing and conversion player rather than just like, uh, you know, being more green. So, but if you do this and if you engage with your consumers in an authentic way, you'll actually increase your sales and increase your online conversion. And we had the numbers to back it up. Right. So you started as, hey, we help you be more green, blah, blah, blah. But then you, through all these conversations, your story has evolved to we help you with your marketing and offer you key data and like inputs and things like that. Things that were more business and numbers oriented, but right. it was still tied to the story about why this is important and what you're doing. Absolutely. It's like, instead of telling these companies, Hey, you know, be more green. It's like, be more green because you can get more sales. And why are you following like the sales strategy of a non-green company? You have a strong asset here. That's the fact that you're green. That's the fact that you're, you're spending so much time and money into sourcing more sustainable, being more sustainable. Tell that story. Yep. Yep. I love it. I love it. I think that's a good note for us to wrap up on as we hit our 30-minute mark. Um but a lot of helpful information, and I appreciate you taking the time. So why don't you give uh, yourself a shout-out? How do people find you? How do they learn more about Green Story? What's the best thing they can do? 
Oh, great. Uh, so do check us out on our Instagram. That's where we uh, post a lot of content uh, at your underscore green story and check us uh, out on our website. Again, we have an ongoing blog that's upgraded every week where we talk about greenwashing, we talk about sustainability and uh, yeah, just uh, engage with us there and we're always incredibly responsive and, and we live off this content. Awesome. Well, I think there's a lot of people out there, especially in the fashion space, um, that are going to be interested in what you're doing. So keep up the good work. And again, thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Adam. Take care. Take care. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast.